We're officially into week two of Seahawks training camp. Which quarterback has the edge so far as Seattle tries to replace Russell Wilson? Rob Rang and I are going to dive in and take a look at how things have transpired in the quarterback position in the first four training camp practices on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's happening, 12? This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And a quick apology to our listeners. We scheduled the show for 6.30, and then, uh, unfortunately for me, Seattle traffic sometimes doesn't care about your schedule. So, getting a little later start than what we anticipated, but we've got a ton to talk about today. There's been two training camp practices since our last episode, Saturday, as well as Today, a lot going down at the VMAC in their fourth practice this afternoon, and even some off-field stuff that we got to talk about as well. Jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of Bet Online. Bet Online is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. A bit of a bombshell dropping about a half an hour before the Seahawks took the field for their fourth training camp practice today. For the first time in more than a decade, from all the reporters that I've talked to that have been in the beat longer than I have, Pete Carroll has never missed a practice for the Seattle Seahawks since he took the job in 2010. That streak ended today, however, with Pete Carroll testing positive for COVID-19. And according to the post from the Seahawks themselves on their social media, he is having mild symptoms. Doesn't sound like he's dealing with anything serious but he is working remotely, taking part in their meetings. And with changing protocols, the Seahawks hope to have him back within five days. But for now, the rest of the coaching coaching staff is left to pick up the slack, Rob. Yeah, and it's considerable slack. I mean, that's the thing, is that Pete Carroll is an absolute icon. I mean, he obviously is one of the longest tenured head coaches in all of the NFL with the Seahawks right now. Um, his leadership, his enthusiasm, his, uh, you know, just his leadership that, that he is able to provide the team. Um, I, I think that this is a significant loss. Um, I, I would say that at any time. And before we even talk about football court, but let's just say the obvious, that we wish Pete Carroll, we wish his family. Obviously, everybody's staying healthy, full recovery. We'd love to see him back on the field, but that is obviously secondary in importance to Pete Carroll's health. Um, but that said, uh, you know, he's obviously in the business to try to make the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl champions again. And to do that, then they have to figure out what they're going to be doing at the quarterback position. And to have your chief decision maker not there, obviously he can watch um, you know, via remote or, or whatever, but still to not have that type of personality, that type of presence on the field, that's a significant loss to the Seahawks. And, and, and frankly, I'm a little bit uh, missing Seattle myself right now. I'd love to see how Clint Hurt, how Shane Waldron, how some of the other leaders on the coaching staff are going to be able to try and step up in Pete Carroll's absence. Yeah, that was really the main topic in the media room today is who's going to be the interim head coach for the next however many days that Pete Carroll's out. And it's interesting because the NFL completely dropped their COVID-19 protocols that were in place the last two years 
earlier this offseason with things improving. Obviously, COVID has not disappeared. It's still out there. People are still testing positive, but a lot of people have gotten vaccinated. So things are looking up in this battle against the virus. And so the NFL has basically gone back to pre-COVID in terms of having open locker room access and a lot of other different things. Coaches and players, when they test positive, they have to be out five days and be symptomless when they come back. And that's a CDC guideline, not the NFL. So that's certainly changed things. Not near as serious about trying to mitigate how many people have this virus. Obviously, they're still taking it seriously. This is still a significant virus. But my point is that the NFL has dropped those protocols. And so the Seahawks are entering this uncharted territory where they don't have their pigskin tossing, gum chewing champion out in the field. And it's just completely, it was just weird. It was as weird as not seeing Russell Wilson out there in the first OTA this spring or Bobby Wagner. It might've been even more strange not seeing Pete Carroll than those two not being on the field. And really ultimately there's not going to be one coach that's going to be stepping up and taking over for Pete Carroll the next couple of days. I will say this, Carl Tater Smith, who has been on Pete Carroll's staff for a long time, even predating Seattle, he was the one that was handling a lot of the things that Pete Carroll normally does during a practice. He was spotting the football. He was signaling downs to both the offense and defense. The one thing you're not going to see from him, though, he's, he's not near as enthusiastic as what Pete Carroll is. But who is? Who is going to replace Pete Carroll in that regard? But Sean Desai, Clint Hurt, Carl Scott, all these assistants having to step up right now to fill the void left behind. It's a good thing this is happening now compared to when the regular season, if your head coach is out in the regular season, that certainly would be a major wrench to throw into your game planning stuff. You never want to see this happen, but week two of training camp, if you're going to have your coach contract COVID, this is probably the time to do it. It is. But as I said before, you know, obviously Seattle has some big decisions to make here. And so it is a significant loss, but yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, obviously you, you want to have your head coach uh, turn the regular season. So yeah, if, if we're going to basically in, in, include the entire season, if you had to kind of pick a time that would be the most convenient to have something this serious, then, then sure, th this could be that. And I think another key thing here is something that you, you commented at the Seahawks, uh, you know, announced that these are mild symptoms at this point. There is no reason to, to panic. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll is in the best of hands and obviously the, just the society in general. I mean, we, we feels like we've got a little bit better handle on the, the pandemic now than we did before. So again, well wishes to Pete Carroll. I am confident that he will be back very, very quickly. One person that was back today, we got our first look at Tyreek Smith, the fifth round pick out of Ohio State, activated from the pup list before practice. There was quite a bit of news for the Seahawks heading into their training camp practice today, which is to be expected to an extent. Nobody thought the Carroll news was going to drop, but when you have a day off, then you come back to the practice field, there's usually some roster moves. And so Tyreek Smith, the fifth rounder at Ohio State, getting his first action, got some limited reps in team today, participated in their individual drills with the edge rushers as well. So first real look for the Seahawks at Smith, who missed most of OTAs and minicamp dealing with a hip injury. That's certainly good news. D. Eskridge was also back on the field, but really didn't do much aside from warming up. But that's a stepping stone after sitting out the last couple of practices. So Seattle looks like they are getting a bit healthier now here 
as we enter week two of training camp. And particularly for Smith, that's good news as he tries to earn a roster spot with the Seahawks. Yeah, no question about that. That's critical news for Smith. If he is going to be able to make this roster, we talked about it before, Corey, but we really think the pass rush is going to be one of the areas in which Seattle is going to have significant improvement a year from now. We've talked so much about the big three, Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, and of course, Chenna Nuoso. Um, and, and I think that um, Smith has a chance to kind of be in that mix. But at the same time, he's got to beat out some really good football players who obviously have some uh, advantage and, uh, and have already had some time to really show what, what they could do. I, I love that you mentioned D. Eskridge returning, Jamal Adams returning as well. As you said, Corbin, today was a, was a big day, uh, you know, um, in, in Renton, um, just because there was so much news coming down the pike. Yeah, and we're going to get to the biggest newsmaker in training camp for the Seahawks. Some of our listeners will be like, we're talking quarterbacks again, but when you're trying to replace a legend like Russell Wilson and you don't have a clear starting quarterback, that is going to be a main point of discussion in training camp. So we're going to get to the latest on the quarterback race and maybe things changing a little bit today with Drew Locke putting together maybe his best day since joining the Seahawks on their fourth practice. We're going to dive in who's got the edge, where things stand in that quarterback competition, coming up here in a moment. Hindsight is 2020, and you can't change the past, but what if you could get a little help from your future self? Maybe you'd ask to borrow a little cash. Now you can with Dave. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, or catch up on bills. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve member. FDIC. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rank. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're now into the second week of training camp. Geno Smith to this point, Rob. We've talked about this a number of times. With his experience in Shane Waldron's system last year, starting three games in place of Russell Wilson, being with the Seahawks for the past three years leading up to this year. That has been a big edge for him in this quarterback battle against Drew Locke. And in the first three practices, that's really where things stood. But I think that it's worth noting now that we have had four practices in the book that I don't know where you stand on this necessarily. You got to see a few of these practices, how both quarterbacks looked, but I'm starting to think that that gap is getting pretty darn narrow for Geno Smith after the way things played out today. Yeah, of course, you were at practice, Corbin. Um, I just go back to the college tape and the NFL tape that I've seen of Geno Smith and and Drew Locke, and I've just argued from the get-go that Drew Locke is the more accurate quarterback. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he is the better quarterback. Obviously, you can be very accurate throwing darts, but at the same time, when the money's on the line, can you still be that accurate? You're still going to make the better decisions. And that was one of the things, as you just said, with the experience of Shane Waldron's offense, that Geno Smith has that advantage. He also has the advantage of just the built-in rapport with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf especially, and not just in playing with them, but just in the off-seasons. And that was one of the things that I was really interested in Drew Locke's comments uh, during the post-practice 
press conference that he held today where he kind of talked about that he did work out a little bit with DK Metcalf in the offseason. He kind of, kind of made a joke about it and said that he's not the kind of guy that puts that on social media anytime that he's working on his game. But, you know, frankly, I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans, Corbin, who would have appreciated if DK or if Drew Locke would have put that on their social media because it is kind of comforting to see a possible number one quarterback making that move to try to develop any kind of uh, relationship with a superstar wide receiver like DK Metcalf. But from everything I've read, and certainly from what I've seen in the past, Drew Locke is going to be more consistently accurate on short to intermediate passes. He's quicker release. He is just simply more accurate. Typically, he's going to hit the receivers in the hands, allow them to, to make plays with the football. He is just going to make some boneheaded throws sometimes. That's what I saw um, in my first day there at Seahawks practice this year is a just kind of a, a goofball kind of a pass that you would not expect to see a quarterback now in his fourth season in the NFL making. I don't expect to see very many of those type of throws from Geno Smith. And that's why I do think, as some have argued, I think you've argued that, that Geno Smith may just be the favorite at this point. But I think that Drew Locke is the more physically gifted quarterback. And that's why I think it's inevitable that Drew Locke will ultimately wind up starting some games for the Seahawks. I think he is going to have some success, whether it's enough success to allow the Seahawks to go elsewhere at quarterback, uh, you know, next year in the draft. We talked about that so much. That remains to be seen, of course. But I do think that this is going to be one of those really tight battles between the two quarterbacks. That's why I think it's so important that Pete Carroll get healthy and certainly be watching as much tape as he possibly can in the meantime. As you pointed out, both the quarterbacks met with the media today, Drew Locke and Geno Smith. And you have to appreciate Locke's presence, particularly when it comes to, you know, the U.S. Open tweet that came out a few weeks ago about him. And he handled that with class. In fact, he kind of went with the joke with a few tweets that he had. And so you got to give him some credit. But it almost seemed like there was kind of an underhanded backslap to Russell Wilson with that comment about, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to post all my workout clips for everybody to see. You guys just need to know that I'm working. And we know Russell Wilson loves to post clips, throwing passes to his receivers and working out, lifting weights. That is not Drew Locke's style. So who knows if that's what he was trying to do there, but it did seem like it was a little bit of a subtle jab for fans that would view it that way. But looking at today's practice, up to this point, we've talked about it on our show extensively. I thought Geno Smith was the better quarterback in the first three practices, particularly Saturday through three touchdown passes to Tyler Lockett. And Lockett, Mr. Reliable himself, that's not really a surprise. But that's something that didn't necessarily transpire on the field when Geno Smith started last year. DK Metcalf was his go-to guy. And really, Lockett, until the game against Jacksonville, didn't have much production catching passes from Smith. So it looks like those two have kind of turned a corner with their chemistry. Geno Smith maybe expanded his lead a little bit with the way he played Saturday. And then today, goes 0 for 4 during the red zone period. Had one pass to Noah Fant that he threw into the dirt. So not a good period at all for him. And Drew Locke didn't throw any touchdowns during the red zone period either. He was 2 for 4. It was really a struggle for the offense in general. But what I think really separated Drew Locke today was his performance in 7-on-7. He made the best throw of the entire day 
Penny Hart making a double move, getting the cornerback out of position, and Drew Locke throws a perfect pass right on his fingertips in the end zone. Very next play finds Will Disley. He threw a missile on an out route to the tight end, and he scores. So back-to-back touchdowns. I just felt like he threw with more conviction and more accuracy today. You add in the fact that Geno Smith got picked off by Uchenna Nuosu during 7-on-7. Not one of his better days. And that was a great play by Nuosu more than anything. And I think that there was some miscommunication there between the quarterback and receiver. But still, three interceptions so far in camp. Drew Locke has yet to throw one. So that's one feather in his cap. He has not thrown any picks in practice to this point. I thought today his decision-making was better. Really was attacking the middle of the field. Noah Fant dropped what would have been a big play as well. So his receivers didn't necessarily help him. I still think Geno Smith is out in front, as I've said all along, but I've always kept that door open if Drew Locke can string together a number of days in a row that he can still win this job. He's got a nice start here with a good practice today. Now, can he do it for a couple of days in a row? And if so, I think that it's time for the reps with the ones. That's been the one big difference here. Geno Smith today got all the reps with the first team again. They have yet to really give Locke an opportunity to do that. Coming off of his best practice, one that he outperformed Smith, you've got to believe at some point to make this a real competition that the Seahawks are going to give him a chance to throw to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett with that first-team offense. I think that's an excellent point, and it kind of brings me right back to the whole idea about Pete Carroll missing some time. I mean, it, that's Pete Carroll's decision of, of when that he is going to want Drew Locke to potentially take uh, as many number one snaps or maybe even overtake uh, Geno Smith for one day and have all the number one snaps, whatever. But if if, if Tater is the one who, who pulls that tomorrow, then is everybody in the team going to feel that it's real or is this kind of staged? And, and that's the, the conversation here that I, I think that the Seahawks have to kind of get ahead of a little bit. Um, the, you know, the pandemic has, has thrown us all for the loop now for a couple of years in a row. And this is a perfect example of how the Seahawks are going to have to kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit. And I think really have a conversation with Geno Smith and Drew Locke. I mean, they've been quiet in the media. Pete Carroll has kind of just said, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, like, oh, don't worry. You'll see. It's all going to work itself out. And I, I certainly trust Pete Carroll's ability to identify the best player on his team. But when he's not there, it's more difficult. So I, I think this is going to be fascinating. And again, kind of going back to Drew Locke and what we talked about before with the accuracy, I just do think that that is his game. Um, and so the fact that, as you mentioned, three interceptions for Geno Smith so far in training camp, zero to your knowledge and certainly to my knowledge, uh, you know, from Drew Locke so far, that's big. And if Drew Locke can continue that ratio in uh, during the preseason games, that I think that it, the decision will basically make itself, even if Seattle is a little bit reluctant, especially with the head coach out, to, to divvy up those uh, first and second team reps between their quarterbacks as early as maybe you and I might be hoping. And I'm going to downplay the idea a little bit that with Pete Carroll being away, that they can't necessarily make a trusted decision there because Pete Carroll is going to see the practice film. He's going to be able to see these, these plays. He's going to be able to see what Drew Locke did. They have all of it recorded. Yes, it's not quite the same as being in person there, but Pete Carroll is going to be able to make a reasonable decision there if he says, you know what, Shane Waldron, I want to see Drew Locke get a bunch of one reps tomorrow. And the coaching staff is going to do whatever Pete Carroll tells him to do. So, you know, it isn't one of those situations where he's not going to be able to access the film. He's not going to be involved in meetings. I mean, we have figured out how to get around working remotely in the NFL. 
and we had to do it two years ago. We had to do it part of last year. So I don't see that necessarily being an issue. And this is not going to be a choice that Carl Smith is going to be making. He might be the one that tells Geno Smith, hey, you're going to get some reps with the twos today. Drew, you're going to get some reps with the one. But it's going to come down from the head man who's still going to be able to make that decision. And I don't think the team is going to bat an eye because they know that Pete Carroll is involved and they trust the coaches that they have on the staff. But I'm really curious because up to this point, I don't know how you can necessarily call this a real competition just yet because Drew Locke has had less than five reps with the perceived first team at this point. And yes, he outperformed Smith today, but it was with the second and third teamers. You want to see what he does when he's got the first offensive line in front of him, when he's got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and all the top weapons on the outside. And you want to be able to fairly judge him and Smith playing with those players against one another. And up to this point, they haven't been willing to do that. I just have a feeling, for better or worse on Locke's part, that that is going to be coming here in the near future after today. They have to, to make this a real competition and really pick the best quarterback. You've got to give him an opportunity with your star receivers and that first unit. If they don't, then it's it's one of those situations where you got to bat an eye a little bit, like, is this really a competition? And that would be very telling on its own. I do think that Locke is going to get that opportunity. What he does with it remains to be seen. It certainly does. And it's not only who he's playing with, who he's playing against. Um, you know, normally if you were playing with the first team, then you're going up against the first team defense as well. Exactly. So if, if Drew Locke is just beaten as good as Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, ha has played at this point, um, you know, you still, if you're being a rookie corner compared to a, you know, a guy who was a first round pick and already burns a second round pick and Sidney Jones, uh, you know, all pack 12 players and he top kind of guy, the guys you anticipate from the very beginning being your starters, that pass rush that we just talked about before, as formidable as it is, if Seattle, if Drew Locke is having all of the success against Seattle's backups, then that's something that needs to be taken into consideration as well. And then the one final point, I, I, I keep mentioning this about how important it is the coach to be there to see with his own eyes. As you said, Corbin, obviously he's got Pete Carroll's got access to the tape. He's going to see if the pass was accurate. He's going to see if it was the, the right read. I just think that there's something to be said for being there on the field, seeing the eyes, the, not only the, the quarterback and the receivers, but looking in the eyes of the other players around them. When you do tell Drew Locke that he's going to get these number one reps, now how, the, how do the rest of his teammates uh, respond to that? And I think that that's something that you have to kind of be there. I mean, I, I'm employed by the BC Lions. I'm in Los Angeles right now. I went to the, the LA Rams practice today because they want me to be there to see these players in person, not just watch tape. And I'm nothing compared to Pete Carroll in terms of that re responsibility. So I just think that that is something that the Seahawks are lacking right now. And so as much as, as excited as I am about the possibility of Drew Locke and Junior Smith truly getting that mono e mono kind of competition, I wonder if we might be waiting five, six days before we actually get that opportunity. And that would be a big deal when you're talking about a quarterback competition because we're now less than two weeks away mm -hmm. from the preseason opener. So five or six days, that's a lot that would be missing there. I, I, I guess we'll just have to see how much him being away is really going to bear into the decision on whether or not Locke gets that chance. And, and who knows, him being gone, Shane Waldron might want to see that. And so maybe Shane Waldron's going to carry around a bit of clout here making this decision. So it's going to be very fascinating to watch the next few days. Not the circumstances that you want, but just trying to see how this is going to play out because I do think that Drew Locke closed that gap a little bit today. I would still say that Geno is out in front. That's evident with the first-team reps. But the Seahawks are clearly keeping the door open for Drew Locke 
to have a chance that he can stack a few days together that he can maybe leapfrog and get a lot of those first team reps and give himself a chance to win this job. We're going to talk about non-quarterback takeaways here in a second. Obviously, we could talk Drew Locke versus Geno Smith for an entire show, but there are a lot of other players out there making plays on both sides of the ball as well. So we're going to be breaking down takeaways from practice three and four coming up here in a moment. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, and NHL. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast as your second listen. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league throughout training camp and the preseason. It's available anywhere that you listen to podcasts as well as five days a week on YouTube. We just broke down the current state of the quarterback position, that big competition between Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Right now, it's still very neck and neck between those two players. But of course, there are 89 other players on the field and plenty of them out there making plays, impressing on both sides of the football. So let's get to our non-quarterback takeaways from the past two practices. And Rob, I want to start off with a really interesting development in the backfield for the Seahawks. Rashad Penny has had a fantastic camp so far. He is clearly the starter, especially with how he played end of last year, as long as he's healthy. He is the guy. But Ken Walker III, I think that there's been a narrative out there. Oh, look at his stats. This kid doesn't have much of a receiving background. He only caught nine passes, or he was thrown to 16 times, and almost all of them were screen plays. He can't run routes. Well, Ken Walker III, the Doak Walker Award winner, he is showing these first four practices that that narrative is completely inaccurate. In fact, right now, he looks very much the part of an every down back. We'll have to see how he pass protects when the pads come on. That's been a big weakness for him at the college level. But, man, he's looked like Christian McCaffrey out there catching wheel routes and all kinds of stuff on the field. Well, and Shane Walker's got to love that because you know how much that the Rams uh, love to throw the ball to their running backs. Obviously, something that Waltron did a great deal of during his time in L.A. And uh, and that, frankly, was one of the things that I was most concerned that Seattle was going to be losing with Chris Carson. We know what a downhill runner, what a punisher he is. Everybody knows that. The Seahawks did a great job of kind of commenting about that when Carson unfortunately announced his retirement, but it was the development of his hands as a receiver out of the backfield, Corbin, that really surprised me with the way that he developed during his time. And I'll be the first one to raise my hand here and say I was among those who kind of questioned whether, uh, you know, whether or not Ken Walker had that type of receiving ability. I mean, as you said, Michigan State simply did not use him in that way. Wake Forest didn't really either. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, the expression I use all the time. And, and when you get an opportunity to see a young player have those opportunities and he really takes full advantage of it, 
then it just checks off another box. It's not that I didn't think that he could do it. I just hadn't seen it for sure yet. And the Seahawks, knowing that they have a former first-round pick and a back that they brought back and was absolutely dynamic and Rashad Penny, you're assuming he is going to be the guy. But at the same time, he has not proven himself to be an overly dynamic wide or dynamic receiving threat out of the backfield. That's one of the reasons why we've argued that DJ Dallas and Travis Homer should have their opportunities. But one of the things I read today, didn't see myself, of course, but read was that Travis Homer dropped the ball. And to hear that Ken Walker is doing as well as he is, is just that much more exciting and just bodes well for his, his potential to not only be a significant contributor to Seattle, but perhaps push Penny, perhaps even overtake Penny. And if that's the case, I think that we both know how much Seattle is going to use their running backs. That puts Walker in a position to be a possible rookie of the year candidate. Absolutely. If he's able to catch the ball the way that he has the last few practices, Saturday, he scored two touchdowns as a receiver. One of them was just a simple dump off. And then the other one, like I said, it was a wheel route. And that's probably the best throw that either quarterback has made in these first four days. And it was Drew Locke. He threaded that between three converging defenders in the end zone on a wheel route. And it was perfectly thrown. Walker plucked it like a receiver. He's had a couple other nice grabs. They've been playing him and Rashad Penny on the field together a few times. And they've had some motion with Walker. So, I mean, they're doing some fun stuff. And I'm interested to see what that's going to look like in game action because right now, obviously, they're not going to be revealing a lot of the stuff they're planning to do in training camp practice. But this is a kid that is showing that he has the dynamic ability, the flexibility to be able to play a number of different spots and do a lot of different things for this offense. And if he can catch the ball better than Rashad Penny does, there may be a big role for him on day one, regardless of Penny's health. So an exciting development there as far as who's going to be blocking for both of those guys. Quarterback is obviously the number one competition on the roster right now. Cornerback might be number two, but right there at number three is the right tackle position. I think all of us assumed that Abraham Lucas was going to be right in the mix for that first team right tackle position, and maybe he still will be. We're only four days into camp, but Jake Curhan has now been the guy in three of the first four practices. The one that he wasn't, Stone Forsyth was the first team right tackle, not Abraham Lucas. So Seattle right now, they're biding their time with the youngster. They are playing Curhan, who's the proven vet with five starts under his belt. Stone Forsyth has played all of 14 snaps, but that's more than what Abraham Lucas has. And it looks like for now that the rookie is going to have to prove himself when the pads come on with the second team to earn that opportunity to compete for that starting job against Curhan and Forsyth. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of you, buddy. That, that, that's absolutely a battle that I would look like to be able to watch um, you know, over and over again. I, I focused a lot of time watching that right tackle position when I was there a couple of days ago, especially focused in on Jake Curran. Um, and and I, just, I was a fan of him before, and I'm even more of a fan of him now. Um, when I watch him, not only in you know live at, at training camp, but from last year's tape program, I, I see a guy who sometimes is kind of sneaky late off the ball to allow the pass rusher to get upfield just so he can kind of trap him. 
And, and I think he, there's some savviness to his play that you just don't normally see with young players. Um, and obviously, he was a four-year starter at Cal. Abe Lucas was a four-year starter. Stone Forsythe is a multi-year starter at Florida as well. But even with that experience, I still was surprised by that. So, yeah, kind of like uh, I think that Drew Locke is the more accurate quarterback. We talked about that before. And that, I think, is going to give him an advantage when it's all said and done. I think the current is the smarter, more reliable player at this point in his career compared to Forsyth and, uh, and and Lucas. And so I think that he is also kind of the leader in the clubhouse. And I expect it to stay that way, even though I would acknowledge that Forsyth and Lucas, bigger men, arguably more athletic, that maybe they have a higher upside. But again, I just think that the safer play right now is current. And that seems to be the way the Seahawks are viewing it right now. And again, it's four practices in. Lucas is going to get his shot at some yeah. point when the Pats come on. They're going to be taking a look at him. If he plays really well at that second unit, he's going to earn that opportunity. But I will say this about Kerhan. I talked to him before practice on Saturday, and one thing that he referenced that he cited a couple times when I was asking him questions is that, you know, he didn't necessarily change up his sets at Cal because he was able to get away with that. You come to the NFL and you play Von Miller or Daniil Hunter and suddenly you realize, I can't do the same pass at every time, or I'm going to get put on a skewer. And that's what happened. So he's really been working on that this offseason. I can't wait to see what that looks like when the pads come out and these guys are full throttle pass protecting. Because if he's able to make a big leap in that regard, we saw what he could do in the run game, opening up holes for a shot penny late last season. And he's a mauler in the run game. If he improves in pass protection, that's going to make it that much harder for Forsyth or Lucas to be able to make up ground in this race. Because right now it looks to me, like he's got a significant lead in that right tackle position because of the experience that he gained last season. Now flipping gears over to the defensive side of the football, you mentioned Travis Homer's drop out of the backfield, and I'm not disputing that that happened, but I'm going to change the story up just a little bit for our listeners. And I'm going to take you to training camp here because this is really what happened. Travis Homer had the football in his hands, but I would not call that a drop. And here is why. Bobby Wagner not being at middle linebacker, there are going to be things the Seahawks simply cannot replace not having him out there. Cody Barton is not Bobby Wagner 2.0. But if there's an area where the Seahawks could be better with him plugging in the lineup at this point, it's in coverage because of his speed and his safety background. And you saw it on this one particular play. Barton actually blitzed and Rob Homer was stepping up in pass protection. We know how good he is picking up blitzes. But he didn't have anybody to pick up. The blitz was actually picked up by the line. So he snuck out and ran a crosser out of the backfield. Barton stopped his blitz, swung his hips open, and showed incredible recovery speed. Getting back to Travis Homer, he actually got a hand on that football. And so it wasn't a drop. It was a pass breakup. But that was one of the most impressive plays on defense I've seen all of training camp, just simply because of the incredible amount of ground that he covered in a quick amount of time, defending a speedy running back that's pretty darn good out of the backfield. One hell of a play. And that shows you what he's going to give this defense at the second level, coverage-wise, that they maybe didn't have the last couple of years.
Yeah, that's a great way of describing it, Corbin. Um, you know, a former running back, you, know, you, you, you painted a beautiful picture there. I, I would argue that it wasn't just a, a great play um, in that regard then from Cody Barton. It's a pretty impressive play by Travis Homer as well. As you said, I mean, he was going up there to fill and block and then recognizes that he doesn't have to block. So he's going out there as a, you know, as, as a receiver. That's good, smart football as well. So you know, kudos to, to both those two players, two good young Seahawks that – um, you know, I, I'm excited to see what, what they might be able to bring this upcoming season. Obviously, especially in Barton's case, he is going to have an opportunity here for an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of, of playing time. And his speed, his athletic ability, his instincts, I, I think that I've been a little negative on him in terms of his physicality. But I was impressed by just his stature. I thought that he looked a little bit bigger when I saw him yep. in person at training camp. And then I, I think that he's the kind of guy. He, he's really competitive. He can't play linebacker, not be competitive. But he's the kind of guy I think that he's hearing all this talk about, oh, he's a little bit light in the butt and all this kind of stuff. I think that he is going to play with a different mentality, a different type of physicality. I remember young Bubby Wagner, he was the speedy guy. It wasn't until his second or third year that he was a starter that he really amped it up to a whole other level in terms of physicality. I'm not saying that Cody Barton is going to be the player that Bobby Wagner was, but I kudos to you for acknowledging some of the things that, that Barton does maybe a little bit better at this point in his career than Wagner does at this point in his career as well. And I think that we might see a more physical and aggressive Cody Barton this season also. And, and that bodes very well for his future also. And speaking of youngsters, I know that some of our listeners are going to be like, I feel like we bring up this name every single day. We're talking takeaways, but when you have a corner that's a rookie and he's getting his hands on at least two footballs every single day in team sessions, you got to keep talking him up. Kobe Bryant has been nothing short of sensational the first four days. Saturday was his best day yet. Today he had a couple pass breakups. One of them was in the end zone. I mean, he's been regularly getting pass breakups in the end zone. The kid just has a nose for the football. What he's done at Cincinnati is definitely transitioning to the NFL, but on Saturday in particular, had three pass breakups. Every time he's been tested deep, he's right in the receiver's hip pocket and he either gets his hand on the football or he's in such a good position the receiver can't do anything and can't get the football. He's been doing it clean and legally without penal being penalized. And he's a guy that you know is going to come up and stick in the run game too when they get the pads on. And so he just keeps impressing and impressing. The caveat, he's yet to play against the first-team offense consistently. He's been on the second team. Kind of the same boat that Drew Locke has been to an extent. But he and Tariq Woolen have both really handled all their tests so far, particularly Bryant has been day in, day out making plays, impressing the coaching staff, impressing teammates. And he truly is building a case to be a starter across from either Sidney Jones or Artie Burns on day one, and even if Trey Brown gets back, uh, he is making it that there is going to be a lot of ground that Trey Brown has to cover because this kid has been so darn impressive throughout training camp. Corbin, it's almost unfortunate that Kobe Bryant's name is what it is because every time we talk about it, then it sounds like we're just kind of being silly. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to just acknowledge the you know the great NBA, the late great NBA player, and. Yet, this young rookie is really playing lights out. I mean, every scout I talked to when I was there in Seattle Corporate, Kobe Bryant was the very first rookie that they listed. And then they kind of stopped. They're like, well, the, you know, the running back's been great. Oh, we're really excited about the edge rush. But they all started with Kobe Bryant. 
And then you mentioned like with, uh, you know, Tariq Woolen. I mean, what an incredible athlete. That's the one that you would expect a lot of scouts to be talking about. And so I, again, I kind of focused in on these players when I was there. And it's just interesting to me how different the two are. Woolen, because he's so long, he's so fast, he could just blanket receivers down the field. But once you have to have some like kind of double moves and things like that and some cuts to the inside, that's where those long legs can kind of get him in, in a little bit of trouble. And we talked about this before on tape. He struggled against the run in his open field tackler. That is not the case with Kobe Bryant. You had some concerns about straight line speed. That was pretty much it. And I saw the Seahawks try to take him deep a couple of times. And every it has time, worked. Yeah, that, that so-called you know mediocre straight line speed. He plays fast. He has incredible timing, incredible hand-eye coordination, body control, just to get up in the air and be able to deflect some passes. I mean, it truly has been spectacular. Everybody knows that this is the Jim Thorpe Award winner. And it, but again, I think that people just say that and then don't really think about it. When you're the Jim Thorpe Award winner and you're playing opposite a top 10 pick that, at, at cornerback, I, I just think that, that is, you have to be incredibly productive. And that's exactly what Kobe Bryant was over his career. So he's just doing exactly uh, what he did in Cincinnati. He's just bringing it over to, to Seattle. I saw it in Cincinnati. I saw it at the Senior Bowl, and I'm seeing it here in Seattle. It's it's you know the Seahawks have an incredible track record of finding cornerbacks. What give Pete Carroll credit, give John Schneider credit, give whoever you want credit. They have a, a, a great deal of success in doing that. It looks like they've done the exact same thing in Kobe. Yeah, you can make the argument with both. And again, it's very early. We're only four days into training camp, and yet your eyes can sometimes tell you pretty quick that players have it. And it looks like both these guys in different ways have it. And Woolen is obviously much less polished. So it's going to be more of a learning curve for him, but you still are seeing things that are really impressive on the field. And you want to see how both of them handle going against DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. They have not really had chances to do that yet. So that's another big caveat, but they're going to get those challenges here soon because they've earned those opportunities. And if they're able to handle those chances against elite receivers, really going to help themselves and trying to get into the starting lineup at some point, Bryant looks to be very close, if not already in that discussion right now. Woolen, he's surprising, and maybe he can play his way into that discussion as well. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're also streaming live video form on YouTube five days a week. Coming up on our Tuesday episode, we're going to continue our training camp discussions. We're going to check out the quarterback competition. Just talked about those two rookies, where they fit in, but there are other veterans that are impressing in what is turning out to be one heck of a competition in the secondary, plus some other takeaways from practice number five. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.